You are listening to Life Stories with me, Natalie Miller-Snell. Throughout this series, you'll hear honest conversations with inspiring people. And I am so super excited and so very grateful for my guests who have been incredibly candid about their journeys. So sit back and prepare to be inspired. Hello, everyone. It's Pride Month, so I am celebrating with some incredible trailblazers and pioneers within the LGBTQI community. And I am super excited to catch up with my next guest. She has an absolutely phenomenal accolades in her back catalogue, including Business Icon of the Year. She's publisher of Diva magazine, and she's founder of the Lesbian Visibility Week patron of diversity role models and so much more please put your hands together for the absolutely wonderful linda riley round of applause how are you linda i'm good i'm even better from hearing that introduction thank you very much it was a lovely introduction i can't quite believe it's me sometimes Right, how does it, yeah, it's incredible. And I, I only listed, you know, even half of what you've achieved and what you've done in your life. It's absolutely phenomenal, really phenomenal. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, as, a, as I sit here, the publisher of Diva magazine, sometimes I can't, can't quite believe it myself, but it's, uh, you know, a good job. <laughs> I can't, honestly, I cannot wait to hear all about it because I... I was checking, Diva started in 1994. I know you joined um, later in the 2016, was it, or something like that? I think it was 2015. I'm not sure. Oh, brilliant. I okay. But I remember because I released my coming out story just um, last week uh, for, for Pride Month and whatnot. And 1994 was the kiss, Beth Jordash and uh, Margaret on Brookside. And that changed my life. And then obviously Diva as well. So I can't wait for us to explore that and come on to it all and how you've you know become the publisher too. So if it's OK with you, let's kick off. Who's Linda Riley? Let's hear a bit about your story what it was like growing up as a, as a gay woman and coming out, because I know there's quite a, a big story for, for you there or a journey for you. Yeah, so um, interestingly enough, uh, it's, there's not that much of a big story. Um, I am, uh, people often get surprised that when they hear my accent, uh, you can obviously hear, for those of you who are London-based, uh, it's a complete London accent. I was brought up in the council estates of deepest uh, uh, Stockwell, so um, that's my background, and um, you know, to go from uh, that and to where I am now, it's been it's been quite a journey. But it's uh, not something I ever intended to do. I just uh, it just developed for me. But uh, yeah, I had a, a pretty poor background, which uh, I think uh, developed me in good stead for later life. And how yeah, how was that? What coming out for you back then? Because what, what what year are we talking? It's in the when did you come out? Uh, yeah, so we are talking um, uh, late 70s, I came out. Okay. So, uh, you know, that was uh, quite something. It was um, it was a time that many of you will not remember. It's called <laughs> the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or social media, or podcasts, any of this stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 when I, when I talked, I, I now have uh, almost fifteen-year-old twins, and when I talk to them about, you know, they're not being mobile phones or not even, you know, they just, 
they kind of roll their eyes like I'm talking dinosauric uh, language. But uh, yeah, the, the reason I'm bringing that up because it was uh, it was so difficult to come out in that time. I mean, um, you know, I often hear isolated stories, people uh, telling me stories how isolated they are, they are you know, uh, living in the village and what diva means to them. You know, they get that once a month, etc. And also... Um, if you can, uh, what I'm trying to relate to it, if you can imagine uh, coming out where, you know, you didn't know any other uh, lesbians or any other gay people. Interestingly enough, I do believe, and we should look up at this, I do believe the Royal Vauxhall Tavern had started uh, oh, in wow. Vauxhall near me, but I need to look that up. I seem to remember uh, the only gay people that I knew were those walking uh, down the Wandsworth Road after coming out of the Vauxhall Tavern, but I'd like to look up that year. But basically, there was there was nothing to do. I think the Vauxhall Tavern came later, actually. My memory's a bit squiffed from... Uh, <laughs> As is mine. Years ago. <laughs> uh, but, you know, um, people asked me how I, how I met others at that time. And um, what it was is at that time... Uh, oh, God, I'm just going to feel so old telling these stories. But there was something called uh, red telephone boxes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, because we used to go meet people in town without having a mobile. You just wait on the corner of a street or outside wherever you're going to meet someone and just hope that they would, well, know they would turn up, right? Well, that's that's right. It was it was like that. But what they would do, what there was, is there was a um, LGBT switchboard were around then and also um, another phone service called uh, Lesbian Line. And what they used to do is put stickers in the... Uh, telephone boxes to try and communicate with people, you know, if you're not having a good time for a lesbian line, that sort of stuff. So I can uh, clearly remember being so scared and like picking up the phone um, in this red telephone box and say, you know, um, I'm a lesbian. And um, and the woman uh, from lesbian line was very kind and uh, came out to meet me, you know, and, and talked to me. Uh, and uh, and really helped, you know, and told me uh, a good place to go uh, to meet uh, other lesbians, etc. And actually came out with me the first time I went out. You know, uh, we are talking. I was like only fifteen. Um, obviously, when we, we talk this day and age, you would be how can somebody meet a fifteen-year-old? But at that time, uh, I think those fifteen-year-olds, I was already working. It was different from these days. Yeah, you should leave school at fifteen. Well, I did. Well, yeah, I mean, it is an entirely different age. And when you say that, I mean, it really puts things into perspective. So you're a 15 year old, you've, you, you realise that you're gay, you've got nobody to talk to. And you've gone and you found this service and wonderful that it was there anyway, that someone was able to support you. And is that what enabled you to come out to your folks uh, or your family? Uh, yeah, it was actually because once I'd met them and, um, you know, I was going out and I was building up a social uh, circle um, that really uh, gave me the courage because, uh, you know, I can remember my mum was saying uh, where you're going and etc because I was going out really late and stuff. So uh, and um, then, yeah, I did come out to her. Um, it wasn't a great coming out. I'm sure many people have uh, horrible coming out stories, but um this is why, uh, you know, sometimes when I'm hearing uh, parents talking about how much support they're giving their their children uh, about being gay, it's just wonderful to hear because that was a very rare story. I mean, people did uh, genuinely believe that was something uh, mentally deficient 
uh, about being uh, LGBT in those days. And, um, you know, I'm not just saying that that was a dumb thing, you know, it yeah. was like, and um, so they they would offer you uh, a form of um, like electric shock therapy or, you know, something to, to sort of get the gay out of you, you know, that, for, that was their form of conversion therapy. And my mum just wanted to do everything in the world uh, to try and uh, stop me being gay, you know, she was like, she, you know, uh, she, she's, she's dead now. She did come around in the end, but you know, um, we, we, my family are Armenian, uh, so um, uh, you know, there was a big, you know, the, she was a survivor of the genocide because all their family had been wiped out, and there was a big thing, uh, big pressure on families to reproduce. So mm. the first thing, of course, was, oh, you're not going to have children. Uh, well, obviously, later in life, I proved that wrong, and I did have children. But those—that was the era of the time, and um, the parents that were homophobic then, and although they came around with time, and I see that a lot from people at the time, it's very, very harrowing. You know, I basically was told to, you know, get help. My mom would get help for me, and I'm saying help in inverted commas, obviously, um, or leave home. And uh, I chose to leave home because. Uh, you know, I was very happy in my choice, you know, but I was very, I think I was very advanced for 15, for sure. When I look at my kids almost 15, I mean, they hardly leave the house, you know, but I was very, uh, you know, I had a job, as I said, I'd left school uh, because we were quite poor and needed to make money. So I was like, left home and uh, some friends of mine put me up, you know, and uh, looked after me. And I, I always... Uh, say that now when I when I'm talking to people and I help uh, I'm working with organizations such as a uh, Stonewall housing I'm a when I'm I'm an ambassador of that gold ambassador and um, I was a patron of Albert Kennedy Trust because for me it's really important um, to go out and, and I often speak to um, young younger LGBTQI people and say look it may feel really bad right now uh, but it's not always going to be like that. And, you know, and there was a time when I, you know, was thrown out by my parents, by my mum. So um, I think that experience in life, it really helps me. I don't really like to dwell on it too much because it's quite a sad time. And it's almost like it was a, you know, it was a lifetime ago. It was a long time ago. Um, I kind of drifted, drifted through life. I had to uh, obviously work hard to make sure I could afford to... Um, stay off the streets etc so um yeah i mean i'm just glad there is so much uh, education around now and resources for parents of lgbtqi uh, kids to to help them i mean there's so much in what you've just said then and I'm, I'm truly grateful for you sharing that because i think actually in this day and age it's easy to forget, although you do see actually on a global scale, there's still a lot of hate crime and there's a lot of um, unfortunate issues within families when folk come out being you know, part of the community. But there's also a lot more support now as well, which is, as you've said, so wonderful. I, I mean, I find your story inspiring. And I did watch one of your videos on your website where you're talking to younger LGBTQI folk and explaining that, you know, you went through this and this is, you know, probably it helped you become the individual that you are. And now look at you in terms of where you are and what you've achieved and what you're doing. And it's absolutely phenomenal. It's incredibly inspiring and that things can be okay. It's just being true to ourselves. 
following on from you coming out and then you know experiencing this and being in town and whatnot where did the activism come in for you is that because of how your journey started if you like or is it just you've always had this drive yeah so um I would say uh, I, I would say I'm an accidental activist you know I think I'm a lucky bit of a I like that <laughs> and uh you know um that's where it fell in it was it was almost like uh you you had no choice you know as I said there was no internet so there was uh you know you'd go out to bars and people you know the 80s came along people were talking about clause 28 and you were just so angry you wanted to go out you wanted to um you wanted to do stuff you know and and you wanted equality basically it was that basic it wasn't about you wanted you better rights you just wanted equal rights you know so it kind of came on uh, from there um what i what i don't talk about so much though is um it was almost like the voice my voice that was then is always been the same big mouth voice but uh it was almost as if i i found the movement the the gay movement which isn't talked about so much very very middle class so uh you know the working class voice was not heard at all you know and uh it was there was bits of it don't get me wrong it's really good for me i really learned a lot from people but it was almost like it was not it was an under acknowledged uh, voice and uh, a lot of the activists that i see around uh, you know um jackie foster for instance who founded um campaign for homosexual equality they're all out there making uh, making waves you know but the younger uh, lot were, were definitely not heard and uh, which is why i love the influencers of today because they are young and they do have a voice you know and uh, it's really really uh, refreshing to see it was almost it wasn't until um i became uh let's say i was always an activist but it wasn't until i started to do a lot more that people would hear uh i became a publisher in 2000 i, I know you're going to go on to that but um yeah. It was when I became a publisher, I really realized I had a I had a responsibility, if you like, to um, to use uh, the magazine for, you know, to to give a voice to people and to, you know, promote activism. I've always been a big Stonewall supporter from when they started, you know, and uh, worked quite hard with them. So I would say, uh, you know, in those days, there was uh, there was no split in the community whatsoever. We were all together and we were all fighting for equality, you know, and it was such a hard struggle. We struggled uh, to get there. And it's remarkable, actually, as well, what's been achieved as a result. And, and perhaps we can come back to this because it would be really lovely to reflect on what has actually grown and developed and what you've been pivotal in being in, involved with. Um, now you touched on publishing then. So you was it G three you started at at first and then moved on to Diva. Yeah, you you've done your research, haven't you? I, yes. I, I try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was um I was uh, I was doing events and um, I met my uh, I met my partner who became my wife and uh, co-parent to our twins. She was already publishing G uh, three and I was doing a, uh, gay events and. Um, she she basically wanted me to advertise in the magazine and uh, I always say I end up buying the magazine she was trying to sell to me but I sold to her but uh, but we got on very well and um, it was a good partnership because she was very creative and um, 
I managed to do uh, stuff like, you know, sell advertising and stuff like that. So I was doing all the business side and she was doing all the creative side and editing and stuff like that. So, you know, at the time, G3, it was a, it was a free magazine and it survived for many years just from advertising. Uh, and, it, you know, we used to distribute it in the bars and clubs. So, I remember, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's how I started in publishing. So that was, uh, you know, quite a foray. And um, that was what I realised. It, it was a big responsibility, but, but we loved it. So much fun. Absolutely fantastic. And then moving into to Diva now. So for folk who are listening who won't be familiar with what, what Diva is, a, a magazine to begin with, but it's a much bigger brand now. Is that right to say, you know, in terms of what it is? What, what is Diva in your eyes and your vision? Well, funnily enough, uh, I did not realise, I mean, Diva for me, in the beginning, I just spoke about G3 and I used to do advertising. So I would phone people up and say, do you want to advertise in G3? And they would say, no, thanks, we're advertising in Diva. And I would be like, you don't want to do that, you know, that kind of stuff. And uh, so I'd be, so we were like, uh, you know, uh, competitors, you know, they would look at our ads, try and get them. I'd look at theirs, try and get them. So I didn't really have the respect uh, of Diva. You know, I was a bit like, obviously, when you're doing stuff, you always think what you're doing is better, right? So I was like, Chief is much more better. It's much more community minded, you know, like, you know, that, that's what you do when you sell. So when I was offered the chance to buy Diva, we'd recently, uh, We'd recently, we'd stopped doing G3 a couple of years earlier, um, mainly because we moved on to doing events and stuff. So, um, you know, we we moved, we started doing bigger events in, in the community. So, but then I was offered the chance to buy Diva. And um, I remember at the time thinking, oh, shall I do it? You know, and then I was like, uh, a lesbian's never owned, I realized a lesbian never owned Diva before. And I was like, yeah. I, I think I could do something with this. And um, I remember really clearly, I mean, I, I knew Diva the brand, but uh, but I wasn't like, wow, 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 you know. And we had a launch party for Diva. Uh, you know, I launched the fact that I was a publisher and invited everybody and it's a great party. And by the end of that evening, it was about a month into buying Diva, I realized the importance and the responsibility. Um, people were coming up to me, um, celebrities uh, saying to me uh, that they bought Diva and hidden it amongst a whole load of magazines and stuff like that and what it meant to them and I and I actually it was the first time that I really realized because obviously it'd been going longer than uh, G3 and what what it had meant to people in their life to be able to have that magazine and see you know other lesbians and and stuff in the magazine so it was it was it was about a month after I actually bought Diva. What I realised what it meant to people, you know. And uh, my ambition at the time, I said at that launch party, and I, I do I hope I've done that. But I wanted it to be a brand, not just a magazine, you know. And uh, to be the number one brand uh, for LGBTQI women, um, I believe it is. I could be wrong, but obviously I'm very confident about Diva. I think you've nailed that really well. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I have fond memories of, of Diva as well and, and what it meant to me growing up and coming out and, and the rich content that's in there 
you know constantly throughout the years and today now and what you put out there and it's online now as well part but there is a subscription that you can buy into am I right and then all of the functions that you've organized in and around it um, tell me how is how has COVID impacted what's uh, what's been going on with Diva you know last year was horrendous for so many folk and particularly LGBTQI loss of community and not able to get out and see people how how has that impacted and what, and what have you done in and around it to support yeah well we we needed to stop publishing for about six months it was just uh, you know everybody knows at the beginning of um covid obviously it was just mayhem you know uh, the printers were shutting down lots were going on so we actually for the first time uh, stopped publishing uh, in print format um, wow. you know yeah. We're now, we're now back uh, in print format, but it was, uh, you know, determined to keep it going. It, it is actually uh, more cost effective, to be very honest. I think everybody would know because they see so many magazines becoming just online only. But because, because really of the importance it means to so many people to have that physical magazine, we're, we're keeping on uh, printing. Uh, I'll go back to the... Uh, impact of COVID and Diva but one thing I, I do want to say is that during this time also I don't know um, I recently did an uh, interview with uh, the founder of Curve magazine okay. uh, Franco Stevens um, in, in the USA and they've had to stop printing you know um, and they were actually formed in 1991 you know to just to show the impact wow. that COVID has had on businesses you know magazines are going and that was the big magazine to go so but what that has done is made me even de more determined, if you like, to keep Diva going. Uh, the impact on COVID um, um, was for Diva was quite was was as many businesses was you know like dreadful. But what I wanted to do through that, what I saw, and I think you may have seen this, Natalie, was um, I realised. I mean, we were getting you know so many direct messages from isolated LGBTQI women all sorts of stuff they you know their partner had gone uh, back to their family to stay with during covid for example and this is a common story uh, the other partner couldn't go and visit because um, they couldn't say they were support bubble because the partner wasn't out stuff like yeah. that so uh, the stories were just uh, really tragic and uh, people suddenly uh, after you know having a big social life you know whether they have a partner or not found themselves um well i as well found myself just not just being at home you know and quite isolated and um we set up a diva facebook um diva community on facebook which um, um i'll repeat the words of what people were saying to me it was a you know it was a lifeline for them you know mm. um that you know i'm not being over dramatic but people were very very depressed you know they had nothing going on and the support that the diva community uh, gave to each other um really was impactful on so many people and i still see now people talking about their friendships we haven't had their first wedding yet but i'm, I'm still waiting for that <laughs> wait, um, wait, okay. people were you know uh, really really bonding and um you know getting together uh, on Facebook and it was lovely to see and as well with with my work as publisher you know we've got the editor Carrie we've got Roxy the deputy editor um, they normally deal more with the community you know but because they were furloughed um, off work basically it meant that I was dealing more directly with the community than I normally would and 
that was really good to see because it was uh, it was very powerful seeing the impact of people saying, you know, when can we get Diva back? Or, you know, this this Facebook community has just saved me through COVID. And just sharing stories was was lovely. That's really, yeah, that's really impactful, actually, hearing that. And for you to get closer to it as well. I, I'm curious to know how... I mean, because I know you work incredibly hard. I mean, literally, it appears to be all day long. How do you manage your well-being in that sense? Because also you've got a lot of folk that are coming to you with um, what challenges and whatnot, what's going on in their lives. So you're supporting that. How do you look after yourself in that sense and, and perhaps disengage to give, make sure you can recoup and build your energy back up to still do what it is that you do? Yeah, that's a that's a very difficult question, Natalie. I mean, um, I I don't know. I tend to I do try to take some time out, uh, but it is very difficult because then people think you're ignoring them if you don't if you don't answer them. Um, you know, uh, you may know I get a lot of uh, trolling on social media because, um, well, Diva is. Um, absolutely trans inclusive it's a magazine for lgbtqi women uh, there are some trans exclusionary radical feminists who don't agree with uh, my stance our stance so i get a lot of trolling uh, that that's the biggest impact on my mental health but uh, what i've managed to uh, find a way to kind of cut off on that i just don't read it anymore and and sometimes people uh, send me messages and say I can't believe somebody said that about you and I just reply to them say can you not send me that message I don't want to you know it's not something I want I try to sort of uh, um, keep it at a distance so that's one way I've dealt with my well-being is to keep you know just to ignore the trolls whereas before I used to take that in um, the other way is. Uh, um, I think I'm very resilient, you know, I, I don't really feel I need to take that much time out, you know, and basically, uh, because of all I've been through, I'm just like, this is just a period in our life that we are going through. Uh, I try to say to myself and to many other people, you know, in, in two or three years, we will be looking back at this time of the pandemic as a time that we all went through and, and came through stronger, you know, so I tried mm -hmm. to look on the positivity. I, you know, I, I do feel I should take more time off, but, uh, but I don't, but I, I, I feel quite resilient. I mean, I had COVID, you know, I had it very, did you? very badly. Yeah. Did, very right. Badly. When did you get it? Was it last year or? I, yeah, I got it last year. I got it right at the beginning and I didn't, it was before we shut down and I didn't realize it was COVID, but I was, right. I could not move, you know, it was developed into pneumonia and, um, and, um, I said to the doctor, I was, I can never forget. I said, doctor, look, you know, the antibiotics, cause they were giving antibiotics, they're not working. And, um, for some reason, doctors, I'm going to give you some steroids and they just cleared up my airways. You know, they were like, you've wow. got to go to hospital. I was like, I can't go to hospital. I've got so much work to do, you know. Oh, bless I kind of, I worked my way through it, but it was very bad. It took me about three months to recover properly, you know. I, oh, bless you. Do you know what, actually, again, reflecting back at the beginning when folk didn't know that they had COVID and obviously we've learned so much more since and people like yourself really ill, well, I'm, I'm so pleased you're so much better. Have you had vaccines as well? Have they given you? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I've had the double vaccines. I feel like I probably had antibodies. So I'm feeling... You probably uh, loaded up, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, 
I do feel very, very fortunate, obviously, you know, uh, so many people uh, didn't come through it. So I, I do feel fortunate uh, in that. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Um, I, I'm sure I just worked my way through it. But anyway, yeah, let's move on. You're incredibly kind. I mean, you're at it's absolutely wonderful. And on the troll side of things, I think you are absolutely amazing. Your stance, how you represent people, how you stand up, how you 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 know you you support, stand above the parapet, and you know speak up when the, the you know there's wrongdoings and things aren't right. It's really admirable, and I, I take my hat off to you, Linda, because uh, yeah, it's absolutely marvelous. Thank you so much for doing that and being you. And on that, in terms of representation, I mean, we've talked about it and hopefully folk can hear from this conversation the real importance of having representation out there. But what is it for you? Why is representation so important? At, you know, and that whole drive to keep it present and forefront of people's mind. Well, to go back to the to the uh, what you just said about um, our trans siblings, um, uh, one thing I do want to say is that I have not thought... Uh, for so many years for um, for equality, only to try and take away the equality of somebody else, you know, it just, uh, and that baffles me all along. But representation, we'll go to representation, that's really important to me because I do feel um, like, for me, I identify as a lesbian and I feel that uh, everybody should own their labels with pride. And what was going on with the split in the community, which we all know about, was cis lesbians were often, uh, when I was even introducing myself uh, as a lesbian, people were maybe becoming suspicious that this was a few years ago that somehow I might be transphobic and I would have to explain myself. And I, I feel like, um, for me, what I wanted to do uh, for representation, for Diva, you may know uh, that I started Lesbian Visibility uh, yep. week last year. And what I wanted to do was just show that we need the space, you know, we need, if we identify as lesbian, and the event is inclusive for we to LGBTQI women, but I wanted lesbians to own that label with pride, you know, and say, I and shout, I am a lesbian. It does not mean that I am transphobic, but I love my label in the same way uh, that somebody who's bisexual would love and own their label. You know, I'm not one to, uh, and I say this quite often uh, about labels, people moan about labels and but my 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 view is uh if i want to own the label lesbian i will and i respect the label you want to give yourself and i think that's all it's about you know is respecting the labels people choose to give themselves i mean <laughs> there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with uh, owning your own label but don't don't give labels to other people. Well, yeah, absolutely. Because we're all uniquely individual, aren't we? And how we feel inside, no one person will know. It's all is personal, isn't it? So no, that, that's beautiful. I really like how you've how you've um, explained that. I think that's really fantastic. And thank you um, again for the support. I mean, it's really admirable, truly admirable. How have you seen diversity and inclusion over the recent, say, let's say five years? What have you seen and noticed in a change? And how do you see, or what would you like to see in the future in terms of diversity and inclusion? I would, I would, uh, if, if I had a dream, it would be that that uh, people stopped doing, doing and talking about diversity and it all just became a natural part of life. Whereas uh, diversity is not needed because we're all living in an equal society. You know I mean? Yeah. I think that would be my one dream. And uh, 
Unfortunately, I remember uh, I first started an event, uh, a very big diversity event called the European Diversity Awards um, 10 years ago. And I remember staying on, saying on stage so clearly, and this 10 years ago, uh, you know, I'm delighted to be here, but I hope one day these awards will not be needed. People will not need to get awards uh, for their work around diversity, for their work towards equality, because we will have equality. So, you know, that is still something that I'm hoping for. Maybe it's a, a dream that's an impossible dream, but that is definitely what I work towards. Love it, love it, love it. And so what is next for you then? Working towards that? What's it? What's what's happening? What's the dream? What we carry on doing? What's going on with Linda and Diva and everything? Oh, well, um, Diva, Diva is, is carrying on. I'm even more inspired. I said earlier about Curve, uh, Curve no longer printing a magazine. It's made me even more determined to carry on printing uh, Diva. You know, I said about Diva being a brand, you know, we do the Diva Awards. Uh, we started Lesbian Visibility Week. You know, I want to use the platform of Diva to really make an influence change. Uh, during Lesbian Visibility Week, and I'll go to your question, the, the thing that I saw, I don't know a trend uh, happened on, on social media. I don't know if you saw, but people were posting such lovely pictures yeah. of them and their partners saying Lesbian Visibility Week. People were saying, uh, you know, five years ago, they could never have imagined uh, posting a picture of them and their wife, you know, and their, their family. So what I really want to do, I really, uh, we've done Lesbian Visibility Week now for two years. Um, I really want to grow that. I, I want in 10 years time, you know, when people are talking about Lesbian Visibility Week and, and people saying, where did it come from? I want people to know that that's something that it's Diva's legacy, you know, that Diva used their platform to really try and influence change. And uh, that's where I'm going. Fantastic. Love it, love it, love it. And I, I should mention, actually, um, Diva is now on Clubhouse as well, or has been at least for several months now. So there's a nice community that's set up there for folk who are in it. You've got different rooms that are set up. I, I um, co-moderate one with Lisa King, but there's many other rooms for anybody who wants to join in. And, and what's your vision with that as well? Again, uh, that's the same as a Facebook community. Obviously, Clubhouse is an audio uh, is an audio app, um, and it's really, really been good because whereas Facebook people can write to each other and you know it's it's the written uh, connection. Uh, there's something quite lovely about Clubhouse and yeah. the audio connection. Uh, you know, Matty, obviously, you 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 do your uh, your room. But what I really want to do is um, what I did notice when I went onto Clubhouse. And again, this is wherever I go. Uh, I don't see a space for LGBTQI women, you know, and right. I didn't see that on Clubhouse. So I want uh, I want uh, there to be a space on Clubhouse uh, for LGBTQI women and uh, for Diva community to be that space. We are a community. We have many rooms. We have your room, which is so popular. Oh, I love it. Thank you. <laughs> the power of self love. Yeah, exactly. Um, absolutely. And, um, you know, we have rooms on everything. We're doing interviews, you know, we have uh, we had Peter Tatchell coming on the other day talking about his documentary, Hating Peter Tatchell. We had, uh, we have uh, rooms every night and every day. So uh, we have a daily morning. Uh, I haven't seen you in this, Natalie. I've not been up, no. <laughs> I, d I don't know that I'm out early enough to do that. I do get up early, but I have my little ritual. So I, I do you know what? I will join one day. Yes, definitely. I should do that. 
Yeah, we have the walk and talk, you know. That's so it. It's just, uh, it's just stuff uh, for, it's building a nice community. And again, people built such big friendships up, you know, uh, and uh, it's been lovely to see. So that's for Clubhouse and really trying to build a big safe space for LGBTQI women. Love it. This has been such a beautiful conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been really rich and also just fabulous to hear your story and in and around the development, the importance and everything that you're doing, as I've said, is really quite remarkable and I'm very grateful and I'm sure everyone will be listening too. How can folk get in contact with you and or Diva should they want to support or, you know, just get involved with the community as well? Where are you? So we've got Facebook, we've got Clubhouse, you know, how's best to get in contact? Well, we've got, um, if you go to divamag.co.uk, that can, that will tell you um, all the stuff going on. We've got editorial at divamag.co.uk if you want to pitch any stories or you want to write for Diva. Um, I always say to people, please subscribe because obviously your subscription keeps us going. Um, yeah, it's very easy. Uh, you know, we are very community focused. So just reach out. Uh, we are already working on next year's Lesbian Visibility Week and uh, Diva Pride and all the stuff we do around Diva. So uh, please, uh, you know, keep uh, look out for that. And I'm going to end by saying thank you, Natalie. Thanks for asking me uh, to be here today and for all that you're doing, because, you know, this is just part of building up the community and it's wonderful. Oh, you're very welcome. It's absolutely, truly my pleasure. Honestly, it really is. I've, I've loved every minute of this conversation. Thank you so much for joining me, Linda. Thank you. Bye-bye. And thanks everyone for listening. Take care. Look after yourself. Keep well. You have been listening to Life Stories with me, Natalie Miller-Snell. For all information related to my guests, please check the show notes. And if you wish to continue the conversation with us, please hashtag Life Stories on all social channels. If you enjoyed this show, please pop over to seizetheday.simplecast.com where you'll find my other shows. If you're interested to know any more about coaching, please visit me at nmscoaching.co.uk where you'll also find details of the latest workshops I am running. Thank you so much for listening. 